Well, since I am not preaching today, you guys are in for a treat. Uh, I want to introduce a brother of mine, uh, a brother of yours in the faith. His name is Matt Randalls. Matt and I met in 2008, I believe it was September, in Denver. Uh, we were at a church planters training. Uh, some of you were there, actually Eric Frazier and Ian McFarlane and uh, Christine Wasserman, Candace Kennedy. Um, Yep, and Matt probably remembers them too, but that's where we first met. And Matt planted a church in Helena, Montana, right around the same time. There you go, Collins' hometown. Uh, right around the same time, Lettered Streets was planted, and he uh, pastored that church for three years uh, and then had to make a, a tough decision when his wife uh, became a partner at a firm in Seattle. So they moved, uh, handed that church over to Seth Dombach, who many of you know is the brother-in-law of our very own Bethany Ivelin. So there you go, a little history there. And Matt and his wife Meredith live on Queen Anne Hill in Seattle. Uh, Matt is a, a wonderful man of God, um, a, a worshiper, uh, worship leader and pastor and aspiring novelist and all around a good father and a good friend. So um, Matt is going to share the word with us and I'd love for you to show him an enthusiastic letter streets. Welcome. So you know what I remember about that church plant training from the Lettered Streets crew was, they, was someone actually said, how can we get our pastor not to have a Star Wars illustration in every sermon? <laughs> Does it still happen? <laughs> Pretty frequently. That's awesome. Okay, this will be all Star Trek all the time. No, I'm kidding. So sometimes what seems like on the surface to be the issue isn't really the issue at all, right? Sometimes you meet someone, you hear some of their story, and you might think that you understand what's going on, and then you discover something that changes everything. I used to live in Montana, and one time when I was back in Seattle on, uh, on a trip uh, for one of our conferences, I had an evening to myself, and so I went to dinner at a restaurant downtown where I could eat at the bar and, you know, meet some people and just, like, have a conversation and not just be by myself. And so I went to Wild Ginger, really great place, fragrant duck, seven-flavored beef, really good stuff. And it, and it was nice to not just be by myself in the corner. I sat at the bar and met people. And, and uh, I met this businessman who had his own company, and he was just back from China. He's, he goes all over the world. I don't know, understand what he did. Uh, and we got to talking, and we hit it off. And even though I was a pastor in town for a church conference, he told me that he was a self-avowed atheist who thought he could invent a better religion than any religion that had ever been. I thought, well, okay, that's, that's very interesting. And we actually ended up talking for hours. He even bought me a drink. We talked about God and faith and life and why he didn't believe in God or Jesus or any of it. And it seemed like this is where things were going to end in this conversation. And then another piece of the story came out. And it was a bit like uh, those old stories that Paul Harvey used to tell on the radio when I was a kid. I used to listen to that guy all the time. And he would he'd pull you in with this engaging story that was, that was fascinating enough all on its own. He was the master storyteller. And then he would bring the zinger at the end, the twist that changed everything, the rest of the story, right? You remember that? Okay. Well, I'll get to the rest of the story with the guy at the bar in a little bit. <laughs> but
But this morning, we're going to pick up with Moses' story in Exodus again, and it's got a bit of that Paul Harvey, the rest of the story vibe. And we're going to pick up right where we left off from last week. We're in the middle of this well-known passage where God appears to Moses in the burning bush. But the part that we're going to look at today is the rest of the story, you could say. And it's the part that kind of gets overlooked and forgotten and passed by. You know, so often we think of Moses as the big hero, Charlton Heston, you know, with the staff and the water parting and all this stuff. And he's going up to Pharaoh and he's standing up to him and he's getting the slaves set free. Moses leading the way through the wilderness. Moses, the hero of the faith. But that's only part of the story. Now, today's passage is really only one, one part of Moses' story, of course. After all, Moses' story in the Bible is long. You need Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy to, to get through it all. But this part that we're going to look at today is, is important, and it's surprising. And in a kind of backhanded way, I think it's encouraging. Let me give you a hint as what it's about. Sometimes God calls... And we don't really want to answer. Sometimes God calls, and we don't feel like the hero. We don't feel ready or capable. Or maybe we're just scared. Sometimes everything comes down to a point. Who gets the last word? God or me? Today, I think we can find encouragement for our own lives of faith as we look at Moses' life and, and we see the rest of the story and as we see God's grace for him. So we're going to get into this, but, but one more thing before we read the passage. I want to warn you that there's, there's some weird stuff in here. Some, some snakes, spontaneous leprosy, water turning to blood, things that you might call signs and wonders. And it's weird, and it's not exactly part of our everyday experience, unless your life is very much unlike mine. But the tricky thing about a passage like this is that we can get so caught up in the snakes and the blood and the leprosy and stuff that we miss what's going on. So as I read this passage, listen for what Moses is worried about. Listen for what his fears are and for what the real heart of the issue is. So let's stand for the reading of the word. For in Exodus 4, chapter, uh, chapter 4, verse 1, Moses is at the burning bush in the midst of this discussion with God, and God has told him that he will be the one to free the Israelites from slavery in Egypt. Exodus 4. Moses answered, What if they, the Israelites, do not believe me or listen to me and say, The Lord did not appear to you? Then the Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? A staff, he replied. The Lord said, throw it on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground, and it became a snake, and he ran from it. Then the Lord said to him, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. So Moses reached out and took hold of the snake, and, turned it, and it turned back into a staff in his hand. This, said the Lord, is so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. Then the Lord said, Put your hand inside your cloak. So Moses put his hand into his cloak, and when he took it out, the skin was leprous. It had become white as snow. Now put it back into your cloak, he said. So Moses put his hand back into his cloak, and when he took it out, it was restored 
like the rest of his flesh. Then the Lord said, if they do not believe you or pay attention to the first sign, they may believe the second. But if they do not believe these two signs or listen to you, take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground. The water you take from the river will become blood on the ground. Moses said to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord. I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I, I am slow of speech and tongue. The Lord said to him, Who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go. I will help you speak, and I will teach you what to say. But Moses said, Pardon your servant, Lord. Please send someone else. Then the Lord's anger burned against Moses, and he said, What about your brother, Aaron the Levite? I know he can speak well. He is already on his way to meet you and he will be glad to see you. You shall speak to him and put words in his mouth. I will help both of you to speak and will teach you what to do. He will speak to the people for you, and it will be as if he were your mouth and as if you were God to him. But take this staff in your hand so you can perform the signs with it. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Even when... It is strange, even when it is challenging. Lord, open our hearts and our minds, all that we are, to this, your word. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, have you ever noticed that uh, biblical heroes are not like American heroes? Think about George Washington. What, do, what, do, what are the stories we tell about him? Crossing the Delaware, leading the way. How he couldn't tell a lie about chopping down the cherries tree about how he even gave up the presidency and stepped down. He was practically perfect in every way. At the Capitol in D.C., have you been there and, looked, and been in the dome and looked up and seen the, fre- it's a fresco up there. It's like a church. It's the, I can't even say this word, apotheosis of Washington. It's Washington being taken up into heaven. It's creepy. Apotheosis literally means being made into a god. And this is in our capital. Now, of course, George Washington wasn't perfect, and he didn't become a god for real. We all know that. But the stories that we remember and that we pass on are all a little too good to be true. But not so with Moses. Right off the bat, the Bible tells us that he killed a guy and had to run away, had to flee and live in the desert. And then God appears and calls him to do this great work. And what does he say? Hey, send someone else. I don't want to do it. Now, this isn't my main point. You get this one for free. The way the Bible portrays Moses is one of the ways that we can see the Bible is trustworthy. If you wanted to prove to people that your religion was the real deal, wouldn't you want to put your heroes in the best light, like like George Washington? But what do we see in the Bible again and again? We see the heroes of the faith in their true colors, warts and all. Moses doubts and frets and says, send someone else. King David seduces his best officer's wife, gets him killed, sleeps with her, you know, all sorts of bad stuff. Abraham lies. Jacob deceives everyone in sight. Joseph, with the coat of many colors, was pretty much a jerk. Paul oversaw the death of Christians. Peter denied Christ. 
And we could go on and on and on. Part of why I trust the Bible is that what it says about the people in the Bible is that they're not too good to be true. You know, propaganda isn't like that. Propaganda has to have their leaders be perfect, their heroes be just absolutely pure, flawless, airbrushed. But thankfully, the Bible gives us the real story. Okay, so in this passage, or in the passage last week, we saw that Moses had some serious concerns about what God was calling him to do. And one of the big things that that came out of that was that God assured him that he would be with him in all things. That when he went to face Pharaoh and rescue the people, that he wouldn't be alone, that God would be with him. And that's some good news. Well, guess what? Even with that assurance, we see today that Moses wasn't done doubting. He had still more worries. And so today we see that he says, okay, Lord, you've given me your name. You've given me the assurance that you'll be with me. But what about this? What if no one believes me? I get to the people and they don't believe me. What if the people I'm supposed to save don't buy it? What if they think I just made it all up? What then? This could all go really bad. You know what? I think that's a legitimate concern. Have you ever thrown a party and no one came? (laughs) It's a real bummer. Well, imagine facing Pharaoh and having to lead the people. It's, It's more than throwing a party. And what if it doesn't go well? Now, if we focus on just this concern for a moment, I think we see something pretty good about Moses. That he doesn't, for a minute, think of himself as some kind of superhero. He's not Arnold Schwarzenegger. He doesn't think of himself as the guy to go in and save the day all by himself. He's actually humble. And humility is a good thing. Sometimes people do rush in where angels fear to tread. And sometimes people are so cocksure that they don't care what anyone else thinks. They're just going to go for it. Sometimes people do just want power and authority and to be the leader just, just for its own sake. And maybe you know some people like that, or maybe you've even been like that at times. But that wasn't Moses, not here. In fact, later in the book of Numbers, it says, Now the man Moses was very humble, more than any man who was on the face of the earth. Of course, Moses wrote numbers, but uh, <laughs> maybe, we don't know. But we see that here, that he's, he's got humility. And of course, he was also probably more than a little afraid, worried about how things would go, maybe thinking about the past, maybe wishing he could just get back to the business at hand and not make any waves, and this whole burning bush thing would just be over with. Even so, I think we see some good things about Moses here, that he wasn't just eager to grab power for its own sake. He didn't say, aha, finally, I'll go show Pharaoh. I'll show those Hebrews that I was right all along. He wasn't looking to be the leader. He wasn't looking to be all-powerful and important. And I think that's what makes him all the more the person worth following. Okay, now, this is where things get weird in this story. So in response to Moses' concern, God gives him three signs. He's got a staff that turns into a snake, He can stick his hand into his shirt and pull it out and it's leprous. And he can take water and pour it out and turns to blood. Okay. (laughs) This is kind of weird, is it not? This is weird. Sometimes I think we can get the impression that in the Old Testament, like every 10 minutes, God was doing miracles. But I don't think that's what 
it really was like. I think these signs were just maybe just as strange to Moses as they are to us. When his staff became a snake, he ran from it. He was actually scared. Signs and wonders and miracles have never been run of the mill. They've never been ordinary. Now check out what Peter says in the book of Acts about Jesus. It's Pentecost in Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit has come down and everyone's speaking in other languages. There's people from all over the world there and they're understanding the, the apostles speak in their own languages and they don't, they don't know what's going on. And so Peter tells them it's the work of God, it's the Holy Spirit, and then he tells them it's because of Jesus and he says this, fellow Israelites, listen to this, Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. Peter's point is that those miraculous signs were something to take note of. They're not ordinary. They're surprising. They're amazing. I think God was doing something similar here with Moses. He's authenticating his call through these miraculous signs. Now, we could talk a lot about this. We could get into the significance and the symbolism of, you know, why is it a snake? What's with the leprosy? What about blood? All this stuff. And we can see some resonances with the plagues that are to come when the water turns to blood. We could talk about why God works in miraculous ways sometimes and not others. Why does he heal and then he does not heal? But that's not the heart of this story. We've got bigger fish to fry. Now, I started off by telling you about this international businessman that I met who is as vocal an atheist as any person I have ever met in my whole life. And he talked about inventing his own religion that would be better than any religion out there today. And I thought that was really odd and it sounded kind of tongue-in-cheek, and yet as he talked, it's like, no, he's actually thought this through. So we're having this surprisingly friendly and enjoyable conversation even though he was pretty direct about not being a believer and had little regard for God or religion or the church or really anything that I had given my entire life to. And so I was thinking, this is all pretty case closed. He was a guy who simply couldn't believe in God and he couldn't see, if, if he couldn't see it, he wasn't going to believe it. He was a materialist, a secularist, whatever you want to call it. And then he said that thing that changed everything. He said, how could God let my beautiful, loving, wonderful sister die? And my mother, and I won't tell you what he called her, who was horrible to everyone, is still alive. I mean, I could feel his anger, his pain, his rage. What kind of God makes this kind of world where that kind of thing happens. Now we're getting to the real issue. Now we're getting to the pain that he was carrying that made him not want to believe. We've gotten to the rest of the story. See, it wasn't like he'd calmly looked at all the evidence and decided that, you know, on balance, I don't think that belief in God is warranted. No, it was about the pain he was carrying. That was the deeper issue. And so it is with Moses in this story. He offered up all kinds of legitimate objections to what God had called him to do. You know, 
they might not believe me. You know, I, I, I don't speak well. Just like that businessman had good, hard questions for me about God before we ever got to the business of his sister and his mother. But when it finally comes down to it, it's not really about any of those other things with Moses. No, this is the crux of the issue, the heart of the matter. This is the rest of the story as far as this part of Moses' story goes. Moses says to God, please send someone else. Now, honestly, when I think of Moses, just, you know, hey, Moses, I do think of him all heroic, leading the people, parting the Red Sea, going up on the mountain and getting the commandments, coming down, smashing them. But when God called, he hemmed and hawed and made excuses and then finally said what he really felt. I don't want to do this. Send someone else. You know, usually it's Jonah who gets the bad rap on this, right? God calls, Jonah says, no way, I'm going the other way. Uh-oh, fish, you know, and all that stuff happens. As if Jonah was the only person in the history of the world who didn't want to do what God asked him to do. This happens all the time, right? It happens with the best of us. It happened with Moses. Maybe it's happened to you. It's happened to me. I've got an, uh, an album by the band The Fray. I don't know if any of you have listened to The Fray. They had at least one big hit, How to Save a Life. But on another song on that album, it's called All at Once. And it has this line that as soon as I heard it, it just stuck with me. Sometimes the hardest thing and the right things are the same. Now, you know, I think he's actually singing about a girl and, you know, love and stuff. Whatever. Sometimes the hardest thing and the right thing are the same. That is so true. Sometimes the hardest thing and the right thing are the same. There's no way that what God was calling Moses to do was easy. No way. Even with the assurance of his presence, even with the, the signs and wonders and snakes and blood and stuff, even with Aaron, his brother, to come along and speak for him. You know, when Paul went to preach in Corinth, he says, after the fact, I came to you in weakness and with great fear and trembling. It wasn't easy. And I think he knew God was with him. I think he knew he was called to go do that. And he says, I came with great fear and trembling. In the passage that was read earlier for us in, in 2 Corinthians, Paul says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. You know, I went to this church planting training with Chris. I, I was uh, so in need of training, they sent me twice. And I learned all this stuff, and people said, oh, you know, you're going to be broken. You're going to be desperate, and, you know, all these things will happen. And, you know, I didn't think this, but subconsciously I came out of that going, oh, I've seen all the things that can go wrong and how hard it can, it's going to be. Now I know it's actually not going to be hard. Subconsciously, I thought it, it would be okay. They said, you know, people are going to leave. Well, people left, and it really hurt. People moved away, and it hurt. People never returned my phone calls again, and it hurt. We're not promised an easy path. Sometimes it's the right thing and the hardest thing are the same. The life of following Christ isn't an easy one. And sometimes 
when we're honest, we don't want to do what God calls us to do. In America, we're all about rights, right? Rights, the Bill of Rights. Think about our, our documents. We have the, the Declaration of Independence, the Constitution, and, and especially the Bill of Rights. We have the right to freedom of speech. We have the right to bear arms, practice our religion, peaceably assemble. We can't be made to testify against ourselves, and so on. And I'm grateful for our rights. But what do you think? Does Moses have the right to tell God no? Does Moses have the right to say, thanks, but no thanks? It's a good question for us. Who gets the last word in our life? God or us? I got a very specific wake-up call on this a couple of years ago. I was annoyed in my life about how some things were going, and I was frustrated that things weren't the way I thought they should be. And, you know, I can't even remember what it was <laughs> now anymore. The point was that I was dissatisfied with how things were and that they weren't going the way I wanted them to be going. And for all intents and purposes, I wanted the last word. I wanted to be the decider. I wanted to be the one in charge. Well, as it happened, I was at a worship service Sunday morning, and I was getting settled in the pew right before the service was starting, and these thoughts were going through the, my mind. I was stewing on this stuff. I was kind of torqued. And then God spoke. Not audibly, not in a bright light or a vision, and there were no angels that I could see. It was that still, small voice of God speaking directly to me. Now, I've, I've experienced God speaking this way on various occasions, and something that's consistent is this. The voice of the Lord tends to come very succinctly. When God speaks, he gets right to the point. He doesn't ramble, he doesn't hem and haw, he doesn't beat around the bush. Now, you may wonder how I knew it was the Lord. You may say, how can we know that the Lord spoke to you? And I don't think that if I put my hand in my shirt and pull it out, it will be leprous. And I don't have anything that will turn into a snake. And I can't pour out anything and turn it into blood. But I can tell you this, that my thoughts were full of myself and my same old thing that I was going over with. And then this word came to me that was completely alien, completely not what I had been thinking. The Lord said, you still think your life belongs to you. And it just froze me. You still think that your life belongs to you. That's it. Straight to the heart of the matter, right to the point. And you know what? I'm not unique in this. It's the human condition, perhaps especially in America. We want to be free. We want to be in charge of our lives. When Moses said, please send someone else, it says, and then the Lord's anger burned against Moses. Does Moses have the right to say no to God? The short answer is no, he doesn't. What about us? What do you think? To get me out of my funk, and it didn't happen instantaneously, God had to say to me, you still think your life belongs to you. And I've been thinking about that a lot ever since. God is continually exposing within me how that is still true in big ways and in small. None of us belong to ourselves. We are the work of God's hands. 
We belong to him. We're his creatures. Our salvation was purchased at the price of his son. We are not our own. The rest of the story of Moses meeting with God at the burning bush is that Moses originally said, no thanks. He didn't want to go. He looked for every problem in the plan, every way out, and finally when he'd run out of reasons and excuses, he just said, send someone else. And God wasn't pleased. But that's not the end, of course. The rest of the rest of the story is that God provided. God gave Moses Aaron to speak for him. He gave him a companion on this challenging journey. God provided. And I think we see grace there. But notice that the grace isn't letting Moses off the hook. God didn't send someone else. He didn't honor that request. Instead, he sent someone with Moses. In this story, I find encouragement and challenge. I'm encouraged by Moses' humility, even by the fact that he wasn't a superhuman superhero. And I'm encouraged by God's grace and provision. But I'm also challenged because we see that that God doesn't let Moses off the hook, that God doesn't take no for an answer. We see here another reminder that our lives don't belong to us. I was not put on this earth, and neither were you, for self-fulfillment or self-actualization or for my own life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. No, we were created for God's pleasure. Our prayer is that God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, what happens after this story? I think you know. Moses listened, and he obeyed, and God was faithful. Moses trusted God, ultimately, and so can we. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your servant Moses. Even, even in his failing, Lord, I'm actually encouraged by that. Lord, each one of us knows what it's like to have something to do that seems so hard. Sometimes the hardest thing and the right thing is the same thing. Lord, we need you, Jesus. We need your Holy Spirit in us. We need your encouragement. We need your faithfulness. Lord, open our eyes to what is before us, each one of us, in our families, jobs, school, lives, what you have for us, what you are calling us to, whatever that may be, big things and small. Lord, may we be found faithful to the callings that you put in our lives. Jesus, we trust you. We need you. And we pray this in your name. Amen.